Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Frustration, and it is part of the Thrill of Hope Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Hey, I love this season, don't you? Amen. You know, uh, uh, I met Santa a few years ago, and his name is Phil. Really, he used to come to this church, and he owned an elephant uh, that was Southwick Animal Farm, and and uh, he he would go to Florida in December, and he would be Santa at the malls down there. One day, I asked him, uh, you know, you know something about playing Santa. I use the term "play Santa." I forget the sentence. He got a very agitated look on his face. He said, "I am Santa." <laughs> <laughs> so. We've met Santa, but a greater than Santa is here. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to start a new series today. I love to start a new series. And we're going to call it A Thrill of Hope. And I love the line in O Holy Night. The thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices in the chorus of that song. So today I get to talk about a weary world rejoices. And I really believe... Think of the word application, because I'm going to have to leave a lot unpacked today. I'm going to have to leave a lot unpacked that you can go home and unpack. I think there's a bunch of stuff in here for you today that really you're going to be able to use in your present life, not pie in the sky and sweet by and by, but carrot cake you can eat now, you know? So I really believe God has something for us this morning and this message today, and so I'm really excited about bringing it to you. I love that line, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. I don't have to tell you about the phrase, a weary world. You know all about it. You could tell me about a weary world. Infomercials, when they want to sell us something, you notice they will appeal to what we're weary of. You notice that? Are you tired of 30% of your energy going out the door? Are you tired of embarrassing stains? that you have to live with all day? Are you tired of chopping, slicing, and dicing all those vegetables? Meal preparations taking all your free time? Are you tired of soft-boiled eggs that are too hard and hard-boiled eggs that are too soft? (laughs) Are you tired of ugly belly rolls? Love handles that nobody loves? A guy says, I feel pain in my neck, my shoulders, my arms are hurting. Does just the thought of trimming your hedges make your arms hurt? A family's warmed in one infomercial, germs and bacteria, they're everywhere. (laughs) A father yells, my kid's a stain magnet. We're asked this ominous question. Keep wondering when the next superbug will strike. Then this ominous voice comes over a woman scrubbing her floor, and it says, Even if your home is extremely clean, 
the air in your home can still be quite polluted. How about this one? Is your house a doggy bathroom? <laughs> one that I relate to is tired of people asking you to turn the volume down. <laughs> and most relevant, did I say relevant? Most relevant. Who's tired of fake news? I was so thrilled to learn this week from Congressman Al Green that when this impeachment fails, they're going to keep impeaching. How many of you are weary of impeachment? In conclusion, everything is terrible. But the Christmas story doesn't offer you another gadget, another self-help program, another election. The Christmas story injects hope right into the weary world, and that's a very important point. My, my brother, as many of you know, has an adopted son who has been diagnosed with Asperger's, and uh, my, my uh, brother's wife passed away. Uh, life has been really difficult for Joe the last few years, trying to be a single dad. Uh, Joe is six years older than me, and he has a 14-year-old son who has Asperger's, diagnosed with Asperger's. So many, many weeks, it's a real battle. And trying to get him through school has been very, very difficult. And um, in fact, uh, it's funny, a few days ago, I had a conversation with Sherry in the kitchen. We were talking about it, and I was telling her how stressed I feel about it, and I want to do something, and what can we, you know, we're talking about it. And so the next day, I give him a call to see how things are going. He had this good report for me. He, he works with all these Muslim students, and he works with a lot of students, but they come and they volunteer to help with the homeless, and so he's downtown Atlanta, and so these students from Georgia State, well, a, a young lady who happens to be Muslim has a brother who has Asperger's, and she offered to help, and she started helping him with his schooling, which he's just struggling with so much, and Joe said it's just phenomenal, said she's accomplished more with him in like in a couple of months than has been accomplished in the last couple of years. And she said one of the things she does is she, she takes she take a cup and she has Isaiah write on slips of paper things he would like, things he would like to do, things he would like to have. He writes these on slips of paper and if he does his work, he gets to pull a slip out of the cup. If it might be listen to music for 15 minutes, it might be watch a movie, it might be play a video game. He gets to do that. And I thought, that is exactly, that's exactly what hope is like. That's exactly what God wants to introduce us to, this idea that he has blessings with the culmination, that's, that world-changing blessing of all things being made new in the earth. But even before that, he has a cup full of blessings. No wonder uh, David said, my cup runs over. Uh, he has a cup of blessings that that are there to help you to, to, to rejoice in a weary world. Addressing hopelessness is a serious matter because it's dangerous to be hopeless. When all hope is lost, anything goes. And when anything goes, people get hurt. Paul said the weary world groans. We're going to read in our text in a minute. The song says the weary world rejoices. 
Paul said in the great kingdom now, but not yet I call it, chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. The one that perhaps has more beloved passages than any other in the Bible. I believe Romans 8 probably has more passages that probably more Christians are familiar with that they may not even know they're all, where they all are, but they're just familiar with them. Like, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. At chapter, at Romans 8.1. Romans 8.9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And Romans 8.26 Almost everybody knows some version of this. Uh, In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us. And then probably even more famous is Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. Or he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. And then there's Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then there's verse 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All those incredible verses and many more are in Romans chapter 8. But also in Romans chapter 8 is verse 19 through 24 where he describes the weary world that that songwriter who wrote that song back in, I believe it was 1847 or something like that in France, that he was talking about. It was actually a poem written by a poet, and, and, and another guy put music to it. Keep in mind that Paul expresses all this positivity In a world that's groaning in weariness. Let's read it together. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's what N.T. Wright refers to as the kingdom now, but not yet. (laughs) For the creation was subjected to frustration. Underline that. the, The creation was subject to frustration. Not by its own choice but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruit of the spirits grown inwardly. As we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who has hope for what he already has? So today, I want to tell you how hope, number one, engages frustration with candor. Secondly, I want to tell you how hope faces frustration with courage. And thirdly, I want to tell you how hope conquers frustration with expectation. So, let's first of all talk about how hope engages frustration with candor. And this is really, really important. And it's missed by a lot of people that it's so important when you're dealing with frustration 
to deal with it with honesty and candor and, and vulnerability. Richard Rohr, a Christian mystic, says this. Our Christian wisdom is to name the frustration as frustration. The darkness as darkness. And the light as light. And to learn how to live and work in the light so that the darkness does not overcome us. A lot of people's idea of faith is to not call the negative negative. Not call the bad bad. Not call pain pain. Not call wrong wrong. But that is not biblical. It is not biblical to become so positive that you will not say anything negative. It is not biblical, nor will it bring you hope if you cannot define difficulty because difficulty and frustration, I hope I can show you before I'm done preaching today, that difficulty and frustration and tension is very, very integral to having hope, very integral to a weary world rejoicing. A weary world is weary. It's supposed to be weary. It's got to be weary. It's in the hope of Christ and in the principles of the word of God that we either become discouraged and lose ourselves in frustration or we learn to sing in frustration. We learn to sing in the prison cell as Paul and Silas did. We learn as the old song we used to sing back in my home church, we learn that God can give us song in the night. Nicole Corning is a Boston native, VP of Investments at Wells Fargo in Phoenix, Arizona, and she writes a blog for working mothers. She illustrates candor in addressing frustration in a recent article entitled, Marriage Can Be Amazing. I think I have a picture of, of uh, Nicole and her family. I thought you just kind of see a picture, kind of makes you feel, oh, this person's real, and they have a real life, and these have real kids and a husband and all that. Here's what she writes. My marriage breaking point happened in 2010. I refer to it as my bad time. This god-awful time in my marriage came after seven years of dating, nine years of marriage, and two kids. My story is pretty cliche. Unexpected unemployment, financial trouble, the pressures of raising two young children led me to living virtually a separate and disconnected life from my husband who was battling his own demons while I tried to pretend everything was fine. Fortunately, my story has a happy ending. My husband and I were able to battle our way back from the edge. And in the hope, in the hope of helping anyone out there on their own slippery slope or currently in the darkest time of a relationship, I'm going to share to you the best advice I learned on my long, tough journey. Now, keep in mind, I'm trying to show you how candor leads to hope. When you deal with candor with frustration... It, is, it not only leads to hope, it is a sign of hope. Here's what she says. Here's her advice. Are women, you're listening? Number one, men are village idiots. When it... <laughs> Let me finish. Let me finish. Some of you just want to stop right there. Men are village idiots when it comes to emotions. All the women said Amen. As a mother of two sons, I don't know, this is her talking, 
It's the mother of two sons. I don't know if the blame rests with society and the crappy tough guy images our culture feeds boys from their earliest days, or it's just mother nature who hardwired boys to be emotionally stunted individuals. But try as I might, talking about feelings is not something that comes easily to boys and most certainly not to men. And she goes on to tell in the article about forcing her husband to talk about his feelings. But first she had to face the fact that he was an emotional idiot. <laughs> Number two, and I'm not saying she's right, maybe, maybe, maybe she's wrong, maybe, maybe there are women that are emotional idiots too. I'm, I'm just quoting somebody else, guys. This is, this is Nicole. Second thing she said is sometimes you need to bring in outside help, like a therapist or a pastor or a rabbi, put into man-made terms to help them, the men, understand. For instance, football couldn't be played without officials, and marriage is exactly the same. Officials weigh in on how the game is going to be played to make sure it's fair. Actually, men, most guys can relate to that, right? They aren't there to help one team over the other, okay? That's the second thing. Third thing she says is most importantly, remember you're not alone. You're not some freak. Experience things no one else has ever experienced. This doesn't have to break you. And even more importantly, getting through it can lay the foundation for an amazing, rock-solid relationship for the rest of your life. Now, we're not preaching about marriage today, but that's a great illustration, you want things to get better, you got to define how it's not better first. The real Christmas narrative faces painful realities. The, the real Christmas narrative, and you read the Gospels, Matthew and Luke's account especially, it's, it's tough. It's dark. Jeremiah 31.15 prophetically says, a cry is heard in Ramah, a deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children are gone. That happened in the Christmas story when Herod came into Bethlehem and he killed all the little boys age two and below. Man, the Bible doesn't try to dress that up or pretty that up or cover it with tinsel and lights and garland. And some Christmas pageant, the Bible just says there were dead kids all over town. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says, There was given to me, the Bible's most honest, candid book in the world. Paul said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't have time to talk about what that is. We don't know what it is for sure. Or we don't have time to speculate today. But Paul didn't say, God, I get a gift from God. A beautiful thing. No, he called it what it was, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And then we get, get down to Romans 8 that we read a minute ago, and I see the words and phrases like sufferings, frustrations, bondage of decay. Suffering means things are going to hurt. Frustration means things aren't going to work very well sometimes. And the bondage of decay means that it, when we do our very best to make things work, things come apart. Call the frustration what it is. Frustration. Call the darkness what it is. Darkness. This is not giving up or giving in. This is setting up the target. <laughs> this is not giving up or getting in. This is playing offense instead of defense. Our New England Patriots 
are struggling because they're not playing offense very much these days. They're playing a lot of defense. Some of you are living your life. All you do is play defense. You're always waiting on the bad news to happen. You need to get out ahead of it and define the bad news. You need to get out ahead of it and start playing offense. You need to get the ball. That's what Nicole did in her marriage. Nicole's marriage was bad, and she kept waiting, and she kept playing defense, and nothing was happening because her husband wasn't going to move because he wasn't going to play offense. She went and played offense and got help and got honesty, and, got, and, they, and, and the Lord was able to heal their marriage. God can't do anything. God can't heal people that ain't sick. God can't save people that ain't, that ain't sinners. You know, we, we, we want to we pretty everything up and we want to bathe everything in some sort of political correctness or spiritual correctness. And we don't want to call anybody a sinner. Well, how, how's anybody going to get saved if nobody ever becomes a sinner? You know, my child's not a bully. They're just insecure. And they don't like themselves. No, your child's a bully. Your child's a sinner. <laughs> She's not, she's just tired. She's just hungry. She's not a brat. She's just tired. She's just hungry. Well, sometimes, yeah, you got, I understand. I've raised kids. You got, you got to give them a break. You know, they haven't eaten all day or they haven't had a nap. And yeah, I'm not saying you never give them a break. But once in a while, you got to call them for what they are. Sinners who need God's grace and who need to get saved and redeemed and who are rebellious. (laughs) So, you got that? We got, the, we got the candor down? Let's talk about courage. Hope faces frustration with courage. The real Christmas story, the real Christmas narrative is about rumbling with the darkness. Look, read the story. Mary, Joseph, ha- having a kid, pregnant before marriage, having to run to Egypt. It's, man... Having to, having to get on a donkey and ride a donkey when you're nine months pregnant. I mean, that, that sounds like fun, ladies. I mean, you want to do that? You don't even want to ride a donkey when you're not pregnant. Ride a donkey in the middle of the night and have a baby in a stable, in a barn, in a cave, or whatever it was. It, it's all rumbling with the darkness, and some of us don't want to rumble with the darkness. But that's where the victory is. That's where the hope is. The hope is in the fight. Amen? The hope is in the fight. We're gonna, some of us are going to maybe, sit, if we get time, we're going to sit in front of our TVs and watch a game today, a violent game. <laughs> because, because the joy is in the fight. That's, there's no victory with no battle. Hope is not the absence of dread, but knowing. This is so important. I believe this is good, even if I did make it up myself. Hope is not the absence of dread, but knowing where I show up, God shows up. That, that, that'll, that'll work on a t-shirt, Steve. Put that on a t-shirt. Hope is not the absence of dread, but knowing where I show up, God shows up. Maybe a little long. We could shorten it a little bit. First John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's within you than he that is in the world. He didn't say, you're of God, so you don't have to fight any battles. You're of God, so you can go home and take a nap. No, you're of God and have overcome them. There's struggle in that statement. 365 times the Bible says, be not afraid. Call your frustrations. Face them head on. Step into the chaos. 
start organizing. Jesus walked into the stormy sea. God sent his servants into the fiery furnaces, into the lion's den, into the war zones, into the needy crowds. God sends us into the dark with a candle of hope. All those markers I told you about at the beginning of the sermon are just, you know what they're doing? They are cooperating with reality. (laughs) They are looking for things we're tired of so they can sell us products that will alleviate our weariness. It's like like the two shoe salesmen that went somewhere in the African continent and one guy, one shoe salesman looked around and he said, can't sell any shoes here, nobody, nobody wears shoes. The other guy said, how can we fail to sell shoes? Nobody has any shoes. <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ, listen guys, the church of Jesus Christ, Bethany Community Church, you, the church of Jesus Christ is uniquely designed for a world full of frustration Because the product we are selling is hope. The last thing I will tell you about hope today is that hope conquers frustration with expectation. See, conquers frustration with, did I say that backwards? Hope conquers frustration with expectation. Joy is actually the balance interplay between frustration and fulfillment. The labor of the week creates the joy of the weekend. If, 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 you, if you work five, five days a week, if you, if you, I know we have all kinds of schedules represented, but if you have a five-day schedule, Monday through Friday, you're going in the morning. If that went away, if you didn't have that labor, if you didn't have that tension, that stress, the, the, if, if you watch the Bible project that I recommended you watch earlier this week, if you watch that, you know that one of the words for hope in the Old Testament is kavah, and kav means rope. Why, why would they put that in the word hope? Because what do you do with a rope? You create tension. When you pull the rope, you create tension. That tension creates hope. So the tension of having to work all week <sighs> makes fun to relax on the weekend. And come to church. <laughs> Here's a great illustration of this point. I love this video that went viral this week. Maybe you already saw it. But the little boy who was getting adopted and he invited his whole class to the court. But let, let's watch that video. Some of you didn't get to see it. And, and, and if you don't enjoy it again, that you've you're, you're got a cold heart. <laughs> Finally, the kindergartner, America Strong. Five-year-old Michael Orlando Clark Jr. smiling right there. He's about to be adopted. And right behind him in this Kent County, Michigan courtroom, Michael's entire kindergarten class holding their hearts from Wealthy Elementary School in East Grand Rapids. Michael invited them all, their smiling faces filling the courtroom, vouching for that new son, his best friend, Stephen. My name is Stephen, and Michael is my best friend. Lily, too. My Waving those hearts, it was time. It is ordered, Michael, that your forever mom and dad will be David Andrew Eaton and Andrea Louise Melvin. 
the whole courtroom ready. One, two, three. And afterward, Michael holding the mic for his new dad, David. But there was something Michael wanted to add. The workers there have just been amazing. They, I love my daddy. They, wow. I <laughs> love my daddy so much. This is just too much. This is just too much. Um, yeah, it's been amazing, obviously, how supportive they've all been. I love been. my daddy too much. Michael is loved, too, by his new parents and his entire class holding their hearts. We love Michael. How do you beat that? Good night. I don't, I don't know Michael's story, but if he, if he hadn't been abandoned... Wouldn't have had that experience. Kind of makes it worth it, doesn't it? You got some stress in your life today. You're not sure it's worth it. Because you haven't understood hope. And you haven't understood that hope isn't wishful thinking. <laughs> oh, I hope things turn out. No, it's firm expectation. Hope isn't optimism, as the Bible Project says. Optimism is the ability to see in any situation things could work out. That's optimism. That's not hope. If you look in the Bible, hope, hope happens where it's impossible for things to work out. You know there's no way things can work out. Some of you in this room have situations that are hopeless. Hope isn't focused on circumstances. It's focused on a person. Forty times the hope, word hope is in Psalms and it's always urging us to wait on God. It's not waiting on more favorable circumstances. It's waiting on God. Hosea lived in a dark time. He said God will turn the valley of Achor into a door of hope. Let me challenge you today. We're going to pray for you. I'm going to invite you forward. Some of you need to come forward. You need to be prayed for today. Let me challenge you, though, all of you, to put a taste of hope in your schedule. Plan in your schedule times when you're going to enjoy your life. Also, start looking around for miracles and answers to prayer that are foretaste of glory divine. We're not going to get the whole package yet but we're going to get foretaste of glory divine. I went to the hospital last night in Boston, and my friend, John Sullivan, some of you know John. John's had battling bladder cancer for a while, and this week they took his bladder out. And I walked into the room. I hadn't talked to John in a long, long time, too long, my bad. I walked, I just felt like all day yesterday, I got to go see John. I, I saw him, and I drove in there last night, and I put my arms around him. He said, Phil, you made my day. That's what it means. That's what it means to put hope in your schedule. That's what it means to put hope in your life. That's what the, 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 the angel tree, and, or whatever we call it, the tree thing we're doing for kids. That's what it's all about. It's about in a world of darkness, it's about a weary world rejoicing. Now, I want you to, 
you who really are in this room who really need prayer, I want you to get up here right now. Just slip out of your seat where you're sitting and come and stand. I'm just going to, I'm going to ask something. I, I know we've, we have prayer partners and we're going to get back to using prayer partners again. We just took a little break trying to figure this out, the two services, how we're going to do it. But if you're, you got to move very quickly, okay? Prayer, if you're a prayer partner, come, come up here with us. Come on, right now. If you've, if you've ever been a prayer partner, come on. And, and I want those who need prayer, come on up and stand. You need hope today. You need, you need to find hope in some circumstance in your life. Come on up and stand. And I'm going to say a prayer for you. And then I'm going to invite everyone who wants to receive communion, receive communion, and then also dismiss you to have great fellowship today. I can't predict just how God's grace is going to break through for you. I can't predict just how God's grace is going to break through for you, but God's grace is going to break through for you today. For some of you, it will be an absolute miracle and the situation will totally change. And you won't be able to explain why. God, you are, you are praying to the God who raised his son from the dead. You're praying a God who can surprise you. <laughs> For others of you, you're going to have a miracle of grace. You're going to have a miracle of grace in the circumstances that you're in. You're going to be like Alexander Solzhenitsyn in a Soviet prison who wrote one of the greatest books ever written, or Paul Bunyan in a prison who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You're going to be like Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians from a prison, you're going to be that person. One miracle is not more amazing than the other. The miracle of, the miracle of changed circumstances is not greater than the miracle of grace, and the miracle of grace is not greater than changed circumstances. I promise you a miracle. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for people who need hope today who need the light of hope. They need, they need to, they're weary of life and they're weary of illness. They're weary of, of, of a marriage relationship that's, that's not good. They're weary, oh God, of finances that are stressed out. They're weary of, of having sinful people around them. They're weary of sinful people that oppress them. They're weary, somebody's weary of their own habits their own habit that they can't seem to break and they keep going back to that thing that holds them in bondage and they're weary of that. Some are weary of a secular world that's rejected. They're trying to live for you in work environments and offices and educational settings where, where, the, where, 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 where Christianity is being, is being pushed out. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a miracle. A miracle of hope will spring in their hearts, Father. Change circumstances, God. Change circumstances. Raise the dead again, oh God. And, 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 and make your people strong in the name of Jesus.